Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Kangsha Rinpoche was recorded during a special event. Welcome to Dona Darge. I'm delighted to uh, introduce, for those who haven't met him, Kangsha Rinpoche. He is on his second return visit, and he's graciously given time for three evenings here tonight. Uh, on the two truths, and tomorrow night, uh, Manjushri Jainang, uh, for the uh, initiation, uh, we found a beautiful uh, Manjushri Tanka, and uh, Dirk is sitting right under, so I'm going to ask Rimshe to bless at some point, so um, be a very special evening. Uh, We will uh, distribute a text for those people that want to do the practice and that will become a regular practice here at the temple. And then also Rimshe Friday night, 7 o'clock also, uh, we'll be giving teachings on uh, Shamatha Vipassana meditation with question and answer. So this is a really unique opportunity to uh, ask questions uh, and get authoritative answers and uh, the answers I won't give you, maybe Rimshe will give you. <laughs> so uh, afterwards, uh, there'll be time for uh, greeting and a kata offering line. So uh, uh, you know, please uh, stay for that if you can, and uh, you know, tell people, friends, that they can uh, come to the Manjushri tomorrow night. That, that that's open, and then also Friday night. I was delighted to have Rimshay visit uh, Middleway Health this afternoon, and uh, you know, talk about uh, Western psychotherapy. And I think totally unique uh, for me, and I've been doing Dharma 50 years now, uh, to participate in uh, uh, our ad hoc psychotherapy group. Uh, my friend and colleague Sandra Warren was there also helping me. So that was very unique. Rimshay's, uh, of course wonderful English and very interested in uh, psychotherapy. So uh, he's really a friend and kindred spirit, and I'm delighted to have him here tonight. Thank you. Okay, so... First of all, that uh, I'm so happy to get this opportunity to come to Sacramento and uh, visit the place. This is my second time second time visit. I'm so happy to meet you all. And today that my topic of the today's session, it's about two truth. What I will, two truth that after what uh, informed me the two truths. So have you heard about the two truth? Do you know the two truths? So if you know the two truths, then I think I don't have to talk. (laughs) So you have only the idea of what is the two (laughs) truths. Yeah, so this is one story. There's one master came to the place and asked the people over there, and the master asked that, do you know the topic? what I'm going to talk. So that all the students told that, the, no, they don't know what you're going to talk about. 
So then the master told, you might seem so very stupid, not intelligent. So I don't want to give any teaching. So he went back. After a few days later, they requested him, and again he came to give the teaching. Then he asked the same question. Do you know that what topic I'm going to talk? That time, student told that, yeah, we all know that, what you're going to talk. Then the master told, if you already know that what I'm going to talk, <laughs> then there's no use that, <laughs> to, give, to give the talk. So then he went back. Then again they requested the master and asked to give the talk. So again the master came and this time when he asked the same question, the students are very, become a very clever, I mean the more intelligent way. They, ans- they answered him that some of us know the what topic what you are going to talk. Some of us don't know the topic what you are going to talk. Then the master told that, okay, who knows that? the topic, what I'm going to talk, then teach the other students who don't know. <laughs> yeah, so today is the yeah, two truths. So now the, why the truth is important? From the why the truth is important, it's that the, now when you look into the life, when you look into our life, sometimes the, our life seems very complicated. Very complicated. Because the, why the life becomes the complicated? Why the things become the complicated? So actually, what the Buddha is saying, what the Buddha was saying this, is that everything, he used to say everything is very simple. Everything is very simple. Sometimes that we make it very complicated. We make everything is very complicated because we don't understand the reality. Because we don't understand the truth. So that's why, so that's why we make the things very complicated. Because the one thing I remember in my home, always I think it happens everywhere. My mother used to always, always argue with my father. Or father and it's, for him it's very difficult. Even the small, small things. My mother argued with my father and he criticized a lot of, things about my father. So my father feels very difficult, very difficult with his, uh, my, uh, my father felt very difficult when my mother criticized him. So then I told my father the one thing that whenever my mother criticize you, whenever my mother argue with you, whenever my mother shows some r- mistake of you, you just have to say one thing. You just say, that's right, that's right. <laughs> In the Tibetan word, we call that's right as a ore, ore. That's meant that that's right, that's right. I asked my father, initially it's very difficult for him to say that's right. Very difficult. I was helping him. I was helping him and I just reminded him, ore, ore. That's right, that's right, that's right. Then slowly he learned. He learned. And... Uh, what I realized that the, it's changed a lot in my family. It changed. Because when my, before what happens, whenever my mother criticized my father, he could not accept at all. Then he tried to explain. He tried to prove that he is right. He's, then argue starts. So now he was just, 
now he was just he dropped the his ego he dropped the his ego and he just saying that yeah that's all right that's he is accepting whatever the my mother says so it went so i mean the, it changed a lot but the one thing what happened is once morning my father was reading a newspaper and my mother asked him that the, what you want to have for the lunch he didn't listen to my mother's question and the, he just say that's right <laughs> So here the things is that the, knowing the reality knowing the truth is the here the what is the what what the importance of the truth what the importance of the knowing the reality it's the first step is that it talks about a dropping the ego drop the ego it is dropping the ego so that's why you you can see the two truths once we call the conventional truth and the ones we call the ultimate truth once you are too good once you are too good at the understanding of the conventional truth that will help you build the ego your ego will become more and more big more and more big once you understand the ultimate truth it will help you to decrease and the decrease your ego the two truths so that's why that's why the my when the my mother was accusing my father it the word is not hurting him at all i know the who word how critics hurts my father ego it's hurting his ego so that's why that's why the lots of the amanda argue happens arguments happens in the family so that's why the the knowing the truth knowing the two truths knowing the ultimate truth is help us to reduce our ego eliminate our ego so conventional to what up till now when you think that the, you know when you think that you understand when you feel that you know a lot of things that's a, you are knowing only the conventional truth side not the ultimate truth side now you might think that what is our conventional truth and what is ultimate truth so so that's it so that's why have you, you just maybe few minutes back we are all reading the heart sutra and the heart sutra buddha is said that the no i this no i no sound isn't no sound no form that is the what he is explaining about the ultimate truth that is what he is explaining about the ultimate truth but this is the one of the most difficulties and the most tricky point most difficult and most tricky point why it's the most difficult is the most tricky point is that i will i can tell you the one very simple i can give you the one very simple example after this session after this session if we take a one group picture after the session if you take a one group picture and the once you get that group picture in your cell phone or once you get that group picture to whom you will look first <laughs> okay oh yes <you're> me <laughs> okay it is quite obvious that we will look for the eye quite obvious 
And the second thing is that the first you will look at that picture and uh, you will try to say how you look in that picture, <laughs> that group picture. If you looks good, I'm sure you will keep that. <laughs> if you don't look good in that group picture, even the, your old friends looks good, you will delete that. <laughs> that it happens, no? Yeah. It, it is the one, the reality, one truth. That is the one reality truth. Why it's happening is uh, we are the too attached for the ourselves. We are too attached for the self. We are holding self as the very, we keep the self as a first priority. So that's why we are, feel that I very strongly have the feeling that I. So that's the thing that now the Buddha was, what the Heart Sutra is saying is that there is no I. Because up till now, we hold very strong the I. We hold the self is very strongly. We hold it. So that's why one thing, one thing I rem- one thing I remember that uh, it's a quite long back. I think it's about maybe ten or twelve years back. Quite long back, one gentleman came and asked me to pray that he is going to marry his fiancée. He asked me to pray. And the bless his marriage. So then I asked him that, uh, why you are going to marry your fiance? He told me that if he marry his fiance, he will become more happy. He will become more happy. Then I told him, you are thinking very wrong. You should not think that way. You should think that if you marry your fiance, she will be more happy. That you should think that way. Normally, now if you look at our life, everything comes up, I come first. Then the my come first. Because that is the, that is the one thing, the root cause of the every conflict. That is the root cause of the every mental pain. That is the root cause of the mental suffering. That is the root cause. So that's why the ultimate truth, it talks about a non-existence of the self. They're saying the no I. No I. Because, but the what? We feel is that the day is I. Day is I. So when you look from the very ultimate point of view, ultimate truth point of view or ultimate reality point of view, if you look, there is a no I and there is a no self at all. Now, when we are talking about the no self, when we are talking about the there is a no I, when we are talking about the there is a no form, no sound. This is a very tricky point. Very tricky point. Because why I'm saying that this is a tricky point is that the ancient time, there is a one master. He was giving a teaching, the Heart Sutra teaching for emperor. Emperor and the, he told, there is no eye. There is no sound. There is no form. There is nothing. King was very shocked. <laughs> and the king asked the master, are you sure there is no eye? <laughs> So master said, yeah, he's 100% sure there's no I. Then the king asked, then the king asked again, is there the master? Master said, no, there's no master. There's no king. There's nothing. Nothing is exist. Then the, what happened is that the king just asked his general, asked the general and asked the general to take the master to the execution ground. And asked the general to kill the master. Ancient time, when they executed, execute, 
execute the, any criminals, what they do is that, that they will bury the person under the ground. Then they will bring the elephant and the, they will let the elephant crush the head of the, the, the person whom they are going to execute. They will bury half of the body under the ground under the ground, then they will bring the elephant and let the elephant across the, that person, the head. So, then the general took the master in the execution ground and the bury half of the body under the ground. Then the general went to bring the elephant. When elephant is approaching near the master, then king asked the one question to the master. Is there an elephant? <laughs> then the master shouted and said, yeah. They is elephant. They is me. Now everything is exist. <laughs> so this is the one tricky point. When we are saying the no sound, no eye, but the questions like come to the elephant, then the master said that yeah, the elephant is exist. So this is the tri- that's the very tricky point. So that's why the so that's why the what we have to understand at this point is that when we have to drop the ego, when we have to eliminate the ego, when we have to reduce the ego, we have to understand the non-existence of the self. Self is not existed. Only that is the solution. Otherwise, there is no other solution. But the way of the understanding of the non-existence of the self, that is the one very important point. That is a very important point. So. That's why, now, that's why the, have you heard the Lama Tsongkhapa? Have you heard? I'm not so sure. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. The Lama Tsongkhapa, okay, this point, the Lama Tsongkhapa said the one thing that the, everything is existed, yet not truly existed. He went to the very scholarly way, because very philosophical way. Because usually, if you look at uh, any scholar, philosopher, I always used to say the one thing, every philosophy have a one problem. Every philosopher, one problem. What the philosophy problem is that the, they, they cannot explain the thing in the very simple way. Every philosopher, if you ask any question to the philosopher, they will make the everything more complicated. So that's why they are saying that if the two philosophers meet, they will not agree any points. They cannot agree each other any points. Only one thing they can agree. Do you know what that point? When the two philosophers meet, they cannot, they cannot agree each other any points. Only one thing they can agree. Both can agree one point. They can agree. That is the disagreement between them. Disagreement between them, both will they agree it. So that's why the Lama Tsongkhapa explained it in a very scholarly way, in a very philosophical way, that he said that the self is, exists. Yes, everything is exist, but not um, truly exist. But today I'm not going to talk with that philosophical way, okay? Because the philosophical way, when I explain, the things will become more complicated. I will explain you the very practical way, practical way. Practical way is a very simple that the, as you can see in the Heart Sutra, Buddha said that the, no eye, no, no, sorry, the no sound, no form, there's nothing. So it's saying that 
to understand the ultimate truth, to understand the ultimate reality, we have to understand the selflessness. Selflessness, no self, no I. Because the no I means that everything is the mentally projected. Mentally projected. Very simple way. When you feel the anxiety, when you feel the anxious, when you feel the worry, what you have to do is a very simple way. Just search. Where does that exist? When you feel very anxious, when you feel very anxious, just try to look at where does that anxious exist? Where does that unhappiness exist? You just search. It's a very interesting thing is when you try to search that the where does that unhappiness exist, you will not feel that. Because I'm doing it so many years, I'm doing it. So through my experience, I'm explaining. Okay. So right now what's happening is when you feel the anxious, you will not look inside of yourself. When you feel unhappy, usually what will we do is we'll try to find some solution from the external solution, from some solution from outside. Here what we have to do is when you feel the unhappy, just try to look into the yourself. Just try to find that the way does that, that unhappiness is. When you look at it, the unhappiness will disappear. So you should try. You should try that. When you feel the happy, when you feel very joyful, don't search. Where is that happiness? Okay? <laughs> then the happiness will disappear. Okay? <laughs> so you should not search the way the happiness is. You should look for the way the unhappiness is. Then the unhappiness will disappear. So that's why, so that's why the one thing is the very simple way. I will tell you the one thing that, the very simple way. I will tell you the one thing that, in case, okay, I'm just giving an example, okay? Just giving an example, okay? In case, if you win a super lotto, okay? I will give you one example, okay? Super lotto, maybe think 100 million, okay? 100 millions of US dollars. If you win it, will you be happy? <laughs> give me a true, <laughs> give me a term, okay? No. Uh, okay, can you raise your arm? Who can, who feel the happy, okay? <laughs> okay, okay, you'll be happy, okay? Fine, very good, okay? <laughs> if you don't feel happy, I have a one suggestion. If when you win a hundred million dollars, if you don't feel the happy, you will be the best candidate to become a monk. Okay. So okay, you will be happy, okay? Okay, Mike. Then the second question is, after the 10 days, if you lose, if you lose that $100 million, will you feel sad? Yes. Yes. yes, okay. Now, here comes the, my true, I mean, the, here comes my final question. Duration of the happiness of the winning the $100 million is longer or the duration of the unhappiness, losing the $100 million is longer? That's my final question. Hmm? Unhappiness is longer, isn't it? So that's why that is something is a wrong thing going in our life. If you look from the very logical point of view, duration should be same. Because you win a hundred million and the you lost a hundred million. Why the unhappiness should be longer? Why? That's a question. If you look at it in your life, the happiest moment is the unhappiest moment. Look at these two moments. I'm sure the unhappiest moment in your life is much longer than the happiest moment. Am I right? 
So why it's happening in our life? That's the question. Why the unhappiness, duration of unhappiness should be longer? Why that should be longer? Because if you look from the logical point of view, if you look in a very scientific way of view, you win the 100 million and you lost the 100 million. Why the unhappiness should be longer? Because there is something is wrong things going in our mind. Wrong thing. Because why it's unhappiness always longer in our life? Because of that, they are saying that because of the self-cherishing attitude. All the self-centered attitude. So that is the thing. That is a self-cherishing attitude. That makes the always the unhappiness longer. Unhappiness longer. So that's why to cut that. To eliminate the self-cherishing attitude. So that's why to eliminate that, we have to understand that the selflessness. We call the selflessness or non, uh, non-existent. Non-existent. So that's why the non-existent is a very simple. That Now, what we do is the process is a very simple to understand the non-existent. Process of the understanding of the selfless is a very simple. That first you have to search. Where does the I exist? Where does the I exist? The question is a little different as a who am I and the way is I. Okay, these two questions are a little different. So here that you have to search the way am I? Where does the I exist? Whether I exist in the ma, it exists in our mind or in body. Which part of the body? When you go like this way, when you try to search and search, finally you will reach that state that the no self. We call the selfless state. Once you realize that state, that moment that you have realized the ultimate truth. Once you moment that when you realize the ultimate truth, all this negative emotion like a destructive emotion or what you call the anxiety or whatever, these all destructive emotion all will disappear. All will get disappeared. So that's why to understand that, so that's why the ultimate truth is the understanding of the selfless. The conventional truth is that to get the build and to increase, to understanding of the conventional truth is it will increase the more of the, your ego. It will generate the more ego. Because the ego is the one very strange thing, very strange thing. There is a one prison in the Siberia, where prison and the three prisoners in the prison, they are talking each other. One prisoner told that the, he came in the prison. When he came to the, that prison, there is a no road. There is a no road behind of the, that prison. There is a no road at all. So now that there is no road and there is no motor cars. Only there is a horse and a, some animals moves on that side. And there is no road and no cars at all. So now the second prisoner, then he told, when he came to the prison, when he came the first time to the prison, even there is no horse and animal side of the prison. There is nothing, totally empty. Now the third prisoner told that the, he had no idea that what is animal, what is a horse. He had no idea at all. Third prisoner said that because he wanted to prove that he is the most, most senior prisoner. He wanted to prove that and on base on that he was now built up the ego. He wanted to prove that he stayed in the prison too long. So when based on that he he feels that the, he's the most seniorest in the prisoner. So based on that he was built based on that he building up the ego. 
So that's the thing. So that's why the ego is the when you more understanding of the conventional truth. You will build up the more ego. To eliminate the ego, as I mentioned before, to understand the ultimate truth. To understand the ultimate truth, you have to understand that there is no I, no self. To understand the no self, you have the process you have to go through is that you just search that where does the I exist. When you process, when you're trying to search the where does the I exist, more you search, you won't find. Once you cannot find it, then you can realize that the non-existent of the self. Non-existent of self, that is what we call the selfless. When you, when you realize the, that ultimate truth, then the old the ego will disappear. So that's why the one person asked the Buddha that, how can I be the happy? This is very famous, I mean, the story. He asked, the, how can I be the happy? So Buddha said the one thing, just remove the eye. Just remove the eye, then automatically the happiness will come. So the most difficult part is the removing the eye. Because as I told that uh, we are too attached for the self. Too attached to self. And uh, we are too attached. So that's why the to removing the self is uh, not that easy. But also it is not uh, impossible. It's uh, very possible. So, so that's why. Now the second point. Second point is that the <clears throat> when, you, when you look when you look from the when you look from the very general point of view, general point of view, one thing is that the now general point of view, the conventional truth. If you look at the conventional truth, conventional truth is the in this life or in this in our life, we will see the lot of the things. A lot of the things we will see. When we see the lot of the things, and then we will label very different ways. We la- we give a lot of different labels. What I mean by the giving a different label is that the good and bad. If you look at the good and bad, and uh, tasty and untasty, beautiful and ugly. These all have the two sides that how we know that is in the reality, how we know that in the reality that is a tasty food. How we know that in the reality that is a not a tasty food. How we know that in the reality that is a good. How we know that in the reality that is not a good. How we know it. Example, uh, uh, that is the uh, one thing that I always feel very interesting is that uh, when you pass, example, when you pass the, like a book, when you pass a book or a photo to someone, does it matter that if I give by the right hand or left hand, it, does it matter? It doesn't matter. Okay, now you go to the India and the Nepal, give by the left hand, it matters a lot. Yes. You have to give by the right hand, it matters a lot. Now, if you go to the Mongolia, and if you if you just press the photo or the book between your two fingers, give they consider it's a very insulting. It matters for them as a lot. Now, if you come to the Tibetan community, you have to give by the two hands. It matters if you give by the one hand. But if you go to the Japan, again, if you can give by the right hand, it matters. You have to put on the table and push. So now that is the one thing that the, now here comes that the one question that the, now which is reality which is right and which is wrong in the reality that's a if you travel in the different different country in the different different culture I mean I can say the uh, yeah, culture and the, with that culture their perspective is totally different how they see the things are totally different so that's why I always used to say the one thing that the, I'm a universalism I believe in the universalism and the, I, I feel always I feel the un, this world. 
I don't feel that I belong to some particular country or nation. So that's why the so that's why the every different culture and every different system that influence the people's mind and how they see is a totally different. How they see, then they will label is a good, bad, beauty, and ugly. All they start with the label that. That's way. So that's the thing that. So so that's why. So here's the come the question now the how we will define the truth, how we will know that in that is a right and wrong. How we define the right and wrong. So then the, so that's why the in the conventional truth. In the, if you look from the very conventional truth point of view, so Buddha said that everything is alright. Everything is alright. When you get, when you everything is alright. That means that the, that means that the, like an example, like I will give that like a, if you. If you look like uh, one very simple, like uh, this water, in the cup of the water. So when we see as that this is a water, so that is the one reality and the one truth. That is the one reality and the one truth that that is the water. Now, have you heard about the heavenly being? I'm not so sure. So this is a very famous example in the in the Buddhist philosophy system that when you look at the water, cup of the water, the humans see this is as a one water, and the heavenly being see this is as a nectar, and uh, we call the hungry ghost. Hungry ghost see this is as a blood. Have you heard that example? Hmm? If you heard, good. If you don't heard, also very good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is the one example. Is mainly is giving the example of that the, how the different perspective see the different reality. So in the reality, when the Buddha talks about the conventional, to all are true, but the different perspective they will see the different things. But the, in the reality, is Buddha is trying to say that all the perspective or the, all the way of the how they see is the true and the right. So in the that is the one conventional label, okay? Conventional label. When you look from the very conventional label, like if you look at a person who eat the only the vegetarian, the non-veg food is a not a good food. Person who eats a non-vegetarian, person who are non-vegetarian, they sees the non-veg food as a good food. Different perspective. So two different. I mean the reality for them, two different reality from the conventional label. Buddha said that both are right, both are right. Now once you come to the ultimate label. So the Buddha said that there is nothing right and wrong. There is no right. There is no wrong. There is no nothing is there in the very ultimate. That is a sometimes the people get very confused under that point. When I say there is no right, there is no wrong. Sometimes it makes it very confusing. So that means that when there is no right and wrong, that that means that there is no good and bad. That makes it confusing. But that, to reach that state, it takes little time. Once you reach that state, then you will understand what really the Buddha means. So that's why, have you heard that after, when the Buddha got the enlightenment, he had kept the silence for the 49 days. He didn't talk anything. He kept the silence for the 49 days. Because the, he find it out that the, when he tried to give the teaching, that time the people could not understand the anything. Anything. So that's why the, he kept the silence. So then the, he kept the silence and said, then the after, after the 49 days, and then he started to give the teaching and he said the one thing, whatever the worldly people accept, I will accept that. Whatever the people, whatever the people not accept, I will not accept that point. Whatever the people accept, I will accept it. Whatever the people not accept, I will not accept it. 
So now that he, he Buddhist cannot express the, his own idea and the view. He teaches the, all the things. The first stage, he teaches all of the teachings on the base, on the people's way of the thinking. Then the, after, the, after the many years later, then he started to teach the ultimate truth. That is ultimate truth. And then he started to teach the talks about a non-existent. Non-existent means he talks about there is no right, there is no wrong. There is no good, there is no bad. When you can look from the most important thing is that when you can look from the, that perspective, the whole the world will be changed. Right now, the, when we see the good things, we generate the attachment. When you see the thing as a bad, we generate the anger. That is how it happens. When you see the good things, that, that generates the attachment. When you see the bad thing, that generates the anger. When you can see there is no right and wrong, there is no good and bad. All the, these negative or these, all the destructive emotion will disappear. So that is the, what happens. That is what happens. I want to give you the one example that uh, in my life. Okay, one, in my life, uh, what happened is uh, one time that was in the South India, I was traveling in the train. So when I was traveling in the train, I just asked that the person, that the, uh, the person the, who sells the tea and the tea seller in the train, tea seller, that uh, I asked that person that when I will reach the next destination. So the person, the tea seller, he answered me very with a rude manner. Rude manner, very rude manner. So few seconds, it really hurt me, really a lot. Because of his attitude towards me, it really hurt. That the few moments later, what I did is I tried to see him as my own father. This, uh, in the Buddhist practice, they're saying this, recognizing the old ascension being as your own mother. So I tried to see him as my own father. That means I labeled him as my father. When I try to see him as my own father, I feel very comfortable, very comfortable. And the, the how he answers me before, it doesn't hurt me at all. I feel so comfortable whenever I see him. That's the thing that it's saying that that's the thing that how we see the things, it makes the big difference for us. If we can see the things in the different way, then we will feel and we will experience the very different. So that's why the, when you can see everything as a non-existent way, no good and no bad, no right and no wrong, then the, all the destructive emotion will disappear in your mind. So that is the one main purpose of the understanding, the ultimate truth. So that is the ultimate truth. This understanding the main importance of the ultimate truth is that to help us, to help us to eliminate the, all the destructive emotions in our mind. Yeah. So... You know, that's the second point. Okay, now the third point. Third point is that the... Third point is that the one time... One time, uh, uh, someone asked me, what is the easiest way to understand the ultimate truth? What is the easiest way to understand the ultimate truth? I'm sure you might have that question. What's the easiest way? So I told that person... There is no easiest way to understand the ultimate truth at all. It takes the time. You have to meditate and you have to practice again and again. Then only you can understand something. There is no such an easiest way to understand the ultimate truth. And that is the things that, again, I just want to repeat that my answer, which I gave maybe quite long back. There is no easiest way to understand the ultimate truth. 
And there is no easiest way to understand the emptiness. It takes a time. So you have to meditate and do more analysis and do more research. Then you can understand the more better. Once you understand it, once you get more closer to the understanding of the emptiness, when you get more closer to the understanding of the ultimate truth, it will really, it will change a lot inside. It will change really lots inside. It will bring more more joy in, inside your, your mind. You will feel that the, your, all the destructive emotions are reducing, like a anger, like a, or the anxiety. All this destructive emotion get to reduce. So that's the thing that that is the one good sign or good signal that you are now you are you are coming very close to the understanding of the ultimate truth. Okay, okay. Thank you. So maybe I will stop here and I will leave for the yet uh, some ten fifteen minutes for the question answer session. Thank you very much. You, you make it sound easy even though you say it's not easy. So thank you. Um, I was curious what changed for the Buddha that he decided to start teaching um, the ultimate truth when he didn't initially. Uh, sorry, can you just repeat your question yes. again? Maybe I didn't hear you right, but I thought I heard you say that when the Buddha was first enlightened, he decided to not teach ultimate truth because mm. people couldn't hear mm. it. But then ultimately he did teach about yeah. what changed for him. I see. Okay. In the Theravada tradition, they call the Buddha, when the Buddha gave the 49 days silence, they call that a noble silence. Noble silence. Uh, have you heard about the Vipassana, that meditation? When they do the Vipassana retreat, they will just ask the participant to keep the silence. And they call that the noble silence. Because the, on the 49 days, after the achieving the enlightenment, Buddha kept the total silence. They called a noble silence. But I always used to tell the people that is a not a noble silence. That is the desperate silence. Buddha <laughs> <laughs> was so depressed that the people cannot understand what he was talking. So he felt depressed. So anyway, so now that that's why he got the depressed. First he tried to talk about the ultimate truth. When he tried to talk about the ultimate truth, people cannot understand it. So that's why he kept the silence. Then he talks about the Four Noble Truths, very basic things. Then later on he did talk to, then he told, then he gave the teaching. Then he talked about the ultimate truth. Because once you, because he have to talk about the ultimate truth. Because once we don't understand the ultimate truth, there is no way to eliminate the, our destructive emotion, like an ego. There is no way to eliminate the ego. There is no way to eliminate the negative emotions like anger there's no way so that's why now here's come the one big question it is possible to eliminate the anger or anxiety 100 percent that's the one big question it is possible or not yeah we can we can see that we can reduce our anger we can see that we can reduce the anger we can reduce the anxiety so that's a question the state have you heard the arhat Arath is a, such a state where the person succeeded to eliminate the anger 100%. That's called the Arath state. So that's why the, yeah. So to eliminate 
the anger to eliminate the like anxiety so that's the that uh, for that so we have to understand the uh understand the ultimate truth so that's why the buddha then later then buddha started to talk about the ultimate truth yeah thank you <laughs> mm. you have one here thank you so much rinpoche mm. Uh, question, um, how important is realizing and understanding conventional truth in order to, uh, in, in relation to understanding ultimate truth? Hmm? We all understand the conventional truth. We all understand it. We understand the conventional more than that we have to understand. So that's why we, everyone, we feel that we know a lot. We are the right. Everyone feels that because we understand the conventional truth more than we really have to understand it. So that's why, if you look at the, so that's why, I, do you know that in the debate, in the monastery, in the, we used to have the debate. I'm not so sure whether, debate is something like that, that we, have you seen or not? We clap the hand and we debate each other. Okay. So the point is that the, in the debate, in the debate, always we debate with the, some points and that try to get the point. Uh, the, in the debate, that the, we always try to get the debate and try to get to find the find the truth or the find the point through the debate. So that's why the what happens in the debate yard is that the, sometimes the first the beginners of the debate who join for the debate, it's very hard for them because the once the people get debate, sometimes it will hurt directly their ego. So once you get hurt by the ego, then the, they, they won't be the, any debate. It will become the argument. They will turn into the debate, will turn into the argument. So, so that's the point that the conventional truth is something like that. The conventional truth is what you learned, what you understand up till now, what you feel the right. These also things, are the, it is, the, it is the, what you understand is only the conventional truth, that the, un, the conventional the reality. So, so that's why the conventional, understanding the conventional truth is a very simple, very easy. But the only that challenge is to understand the, the ultimate truth. That is the challenge. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for your, your talk again. Um, maybe can you touch a little bit upon when studying the, the conventional and ultimate truths, the, the Vaibhashika school, the Prasangika school, mm-hmm. The Madhyamaka school, right? We all they all talk mm-hmm. about what you talked about, the sense of self, right? Mm-hmm. And and they all have a subtle difference where that sense of self comes mm-hmm. from. Mm-hmm. Can you talk maybe a little bit about that and how that relates to the two truths? Okay. Okay, down the schools, okay? As I told you before, the schools this comes from the philosophy. So as I mentioned before, if you look for philosopher, okay, they're saying that uh, when you have a uh, one doubt. And if you ask the philosopher that the doubt, once you have only one doubt, okay, then when you ask the one question to the philosopher, the phil- what the philosopher will do is that philosopher will clear that your that doubt, okay? He will clear that doubt and he will put the two new doubts in your <laughs> mind. That's the, what the, all the philosophers do. So that is a, up till now, if you look from the Eastern philosophy or Western philosophy, exactly the same. If you look from the Socrates and the Plato's and all, they did the same job. Because they are philosophers. They are philosophers and if you look at the Socrates, he always says that he is not going to teach the people. 
He is not teaching the people. Socrates always used to say that. He is not teaching the people. He was letting the people to think. That means how he makes the people think. Throw the questions. Put the many doubts in the people's mind. Then people have think again. <laughs> so that's why these old schools. Okay, I'm not against of the philosophy. Okay, because I'm I I I used to be the philosophy teacher so many years back in the Sarah Monastery. I used to be the philosophy teacher. Now I'm not a philosophy teacher. Quite past few years. Now <laughs> so that's why. Okay. Now the point is that now if you look from the philosophy point of view. How they explain is more through the logical reasons they try to prove there is no existence of the self. There is no self. That's a, that's a, so that's why the Lama Tsongkhapa point of view, he said that the self is, or self or the things are, exist, yet not inherently exist. Everything is exist, but it's not truly exist. So that's the, his, I mean the, his point. So that is not that simple to understand it, not that simple to understand it. Because the, he was explaining from the, the Prasangika viewpoint of view, Prasangika viewpoint of view. One thing you should know, that one thing, I always make the fun of it. I always make the one joke. The Prasangika view and the Matyam, Vivashika schools and all these schools, all these schools, when you look at from the all these schools point of view, how they explain that things are totally different. How they explain that things are totally different. Why they become the different is that the mainly, if you look from the Prasangika school, Prasangika school is the Prasangika school. Look at the Prasangika school and the Vavashik school. Okay, two schools. Okay, did now Prasangika school when they explain the non-existence of the self, when they ex, ex, uh, explain the ultimate truth, they explain it with the lots of the logical. I mean the. I mean the logical proofs and the logical reasons they have it. Also the Bevashik schools, Bevashik school have also a lot of logical reasons and the proofs. But the, what makes the difference between the, these two schools is that the Prasangika school, they don't accept the, accept the, the inherently existent. Inherently existent. Nothing is inherently existent. So Bevashik schools and other schools, they accept the inherently existent. That makes the difference. So, what I'm today, what I'm talking of the very practical point of view. I'm talking about the practical point of view. One, how we have to meditate. Now, if you look at the Lama Tsongkhapa work, okay. If you look at the Lama Tsongkhapa, Lama Tsongkhapa is a, one of the great practitioner. Also, he was a great philosopher. Both. Now, when you look at the, his, especially the the stages of the path in that book, he explained more through the practical way. Other books he explained in the very scholar and the philosophical way. So when now we have the two way to choose whether you should go to the philosophical way or the practical way. You cannot go two way. To, to, you cannot choose the both side. You can learn both, but you cannot follow the both. Whether you want to be the practical way you want to go or whether philosophical way. You want to be the philosopher or practitioner. <laughs> Philosophy or practitioner. Lama Tsongkhapa is a very exceptional case. He tried to become the both philosopher and the practitioner both. He tried to become that. I also tried that, but I failed. <laughs> I find it out that whether I should be the practitioner or whether I should be the philosopher. Both, I cannot be the both. Before I used to be the philosopher, then I left the being the philosopher. For then I tried to be the more practitioner side. Because the, as I mentioned before, when you look at the philosopher, if you look from things from very philosophy point of view, you have to ask the, everything as a question. 
brings a question and the question when you bring the more question it will you when you have the more question what happened is that you will get more answer very true when you have a more question what will you will get a more answer once you get the more answer you will get more confusion that's why the when you get the more confusion then again it will be same then you will have the more question then again more get the more answer then more confusion so that's the, what the philosophy the philosopher's job so that's why the practical way when you uh, when i talking about the practical way in the lama tsongkhapa says that uh, just for the search for the self just search now if just search the self and try to see that what you find after you searching the self but the philosopher not go to that way when the ex- philosopher always try to explain that the, how the i is not exist how the i is not in inter- they try to throw the lot of the logical reasons and the proofs and the like that way <laughs> okay any other questions Okay, like uh, practicing the generosity, isn't it? So, okay, so, in, okay, very simple way. I will, uh, yeah, that's also what you have mentioned that, yeah, there's also other way, very effective way to understand the selflessness. So, selflessness most effective way to understand the selflessness most effective way is the as i mentioned before the what the lama tsongkhapa mentioned in the book called the path of the stages of the path to searching the self that is the one thing then the other thing is that uh, i'm not so sure that the uh, other you have heard or not i'm not so sure but uh, what i want uh, normally Normally, when we think about ourselves, when you think about a self, when you say I, which part of the body do you point? Here or here or where? Here, okay, heart. Okay. One thing, okay. I just want to know the direction, okay. Where is the east direction? East. 
Okay, that way is west, south, north. Okay, now final question. Okay, where is the center? <laughs> here or here? I think center will be here. Where you stay, always be the center. It shows that the you are the universal center. You always feel that you are the universal center. You are wherever you remain, wherever you sit, you are the center. That means that you are the universal center. It shows that the clear that the you are holding as a yourself as a center. Most important. You are in the most important position. Always in the center. So that's why the that's why the when we try to understand the selfless. So that's why the when we're trying to understand the selfless, when you're practicing like a generosity or the patience or the whatever you practices, sometimes these practices, what you are practicing, based on the self-cherishing attitude. Based on self-cherishing attitude. Because you are practicing the patient. Because you know that if you practice the patient, it will benefit you. You cares, it benefits you and you cares for the, your happiness. You cares for the, your own healthy, you care for the, your own health, sorry. You cares for the, your own health. That is the base on the self-cherishing attitude. Sometimes we practice the patience. Sometimes we practice the generosity. So that's why, that's why the, what we are saying is that why best way to understand the selfless is the, to the searching the self. And the one other thing is that the, uh, I have established a few different foundations in the different countries. So one in the, our foundation do that we feed the homeless people. It's a weekly, we feed around 1,200 people and twice a week we are feeding the people. So then the, who are the volunteers who go and give the food for the homeless people? I usually encourage them to tell, do the one thing, not just give the food, not just feed their mouth. Also feed their soul, give them the respect, share the time, talk with them. Some because the homeless peoples and the, and the people who really have no friends and no, no one, not just give the food, just some. It's important to interact with them, share the some time. So that the thing is sometimes the people when you look at the people, learn the people when you're sharing the time, when you talk with them, when you give the respect. That will bring the joy for them, really lots of joy for them. From that is also the one way we call that, have you heard that the bodhicitta practice, no? Benefit. Bodhicitta practice is also one of the effective way to understand the selfless. Because the bodhicitta the practice, it try, talks about thinking the benefiting of the others. Things the others are more important than the self. That also help us to understand that the selflessness. That also help us to understand the selfless. Because right now the, we feel that we always think the self is a more important than others. And the bodhicitta practice, it encourages us to understand that the others are the more important than the self. Put the others first. Yeah. Any other? Okay, any other questions? I think there was one over here. Yes. Thank you very much for uh, for teaching us tonight. Um, I have a question. As someone who's just sort of starting out here, I, there's so many different philosophies, so many different practices, um, and given that it takes so much time and so much effort and so much hard work, what 
can someone who's just starting off, how would they know which philosophies, which practices to lean into, um, you know, in order to actually realize the ultimate truth? Okay. Very simple way, I will tell you one thing. There is no philosophy. There is no school. <laughs> you have to reach that state. There is no philosophy, no school. Because, okay, thing is that there are different, yeah, you are very true, different philosophies, different schools, they talk about it. Because the different philosophies and the different schools and all they comes, because of the everyone try, sees that the reality totally different. What you, what you see is the true. What for what true for you might not be true for the other. What is right for you, it might not be right for the others. So that's why the, when you think about the different philosophy, it's, uh, if you ask me the, what philosophy you should study, most important point, uh, philosophy, then I will suggest you to study the Prasangika school. Prasangika school is the, yeah, that is the ultimate school that you have to understand and you have to know that that is the ultimate school, the Prasangika school. Why I'm saying the Prasangika school is the ultimate school is that, okay? Because the, when the Lama Tsongkhapa, okay? Lama Tsongkhapa is the, he's the, philo, he's the, I mean, the philosophical idea, he's all the practice, all the, he's all meditation of the emptiness, all based on the Prasangika school's idea. He's based on that Prasangika school. Because the Lama Tsongkhapa, he's so, that is the one thing. Second thing is that uh, if you look from the Prasangika school, it always talks the very, it always the talks the things or it, its philosophy is very much based on the understanding of the reality. Understanding of the reality, it's based on that. If you look from the philosophy, every philosophy, they are the different, I mean, if you look from the, all the philosophy, if you look for Eastern or Western, or it doesn't matter, all the philosophy, there the, you can see the two different kinds of the philosophy. One philosophy purely based on the, their own imagination. Imagination, they're based on it. Like if you, uh, yeah. So, have you heard about that? Uh, I think that's uh, Plato cave theory. Have you heard about that? Plato cave theory. No? Yeah. Cave theory, no? Yeah, Plato cave theory is a thing, it's a very simple that he told that if you... <coughs> Do you know, who knows that Plato cave theory? Okay, who knows? Okay. Plato want to prove that whoever don't listen to him, he want to prove that it's people like that, that people who lives in the cave. Yeah, he said that the people who lives in the cave, okay, people who have not seen the, anything outside of the world, and the one person get out of the, that cave. I will, that story, the I mean, theory is quite long, but I will make it short, Okay. Okay, that the thing is that the people who lived in the cave and who never been out of the cave, and the one person went out of the cave and he see the outside world, and once we come in and tell the people who lives in the cave that the in the reality or the world is not like this, but the people who lives in the cave and who never been out, they will never believe that person who went out of the cave. Did you get my point? That's the Plato's the cave theory. So now the Plato want to tell that whoever don't listen to him. He compared that person as the people who lives in the cave. <laughs> That's the Plato's, okay? Because the he, he, but the, here the thing is that the many things are his own imagination, his own assumption. He built up the older philosophy. Not only the Plato, there are a lot of the other in the Eastern philosopher always do that. They built them their theories on the, their older philosophy idea based on their assumption and their imagination. But the Prasangika, how they built the philosophy, um, the system is totally different. 
So that's why the that's why the person if you look at the prasangika philosophical view they throw the lot of the logical reasons very less of the assumptions and the imaginations on there so that's why the if you have to study the philosophy if you for the if, for the beginner if you really want to study the what the right and the what is the best of the philosophical idea then i will tell you that the prasangika the philosophy is the best to once you understand the prasangika the philosophy then it's a very easy to understand the the selflessness very easy to understand it so that's why the lama tsongkhapa his own the philosophical view and the philosophical idea is the based on the prasangika view that is the one thing now the second thing okay second thing is that the two way of the understanding the philosophy okay there's a two way of the understanding the philosophy when i was in the monastery when i was studying the philosophy actually the philosophy is not my it is not my favorite subject okay it's not my favorite subject at all <laughs> yeah because the because the why it's not my favorite subject in that first of all, i'm not so sure that uh, have you heard or not i was i oh, i I joined the monastery when I was age of five. Age of five, I was a very young. I was joined in the monastery, and uh, I have a completely no idea that uh, what I'm studying. Yeah. <laughs> I have no complete idea. And uh, then I started the philosophy. Then, and uh, it's not my favorite subject. I don't like that much. But the one thing I like it very much in the philosophy is that the debate that I really like very much. That I like because the debate. Why I like and debate it is a very I can express. freely that my own idea my own thinking that i like it very much i remember that when i was very young age of i mean 9 or 10 i remember that when i was one time i was debating with my master so i told the master that how you can be so sure that you are on the right track you can be on the wrong track but you feel that you are on the right track you might be completely wrong <laughs> but still you feel that you are on the right so my master was totally laughed he laughed few minutes <laughs> really he didn't i was expecting the his answer but he laughed and laughed but i really that is the biggest i mean the lesson i've now i learned because then the debate is something like that that you can express the freely that the what your idea you can express it also you have to listen the others the idea all the idea then you can then you can ask the question then you can debate debate through that so the one hour skit so i was brought up in the such that environment that way can i can express the my whole idea that what i feel and the, i in the debate also you have to listen to the others thought and the others idea you have to listen it so that is a thing that some when you have to understand the philosophy the prasangika philosophy it is good that the, sometime you can go the discuss with the others when you discuss it is a called the both side dialogue no both side dialogue means sometimes that when you express the your own understanding sometimes when you are express expressing it may help you that the, it may it may help you that when you express it sometimes you will realize that the maybe you what you understand is not might be the not right because when you express sometimes when you express and when the people ask you the question then you might 
feel that oh you have understand is something very wrong so that's the way so that's why okay okay thank you very much okay thank you very much and uh, we will stop here thank you very much mm. this has been a lion's roar dharma center recording for more information visit lionsroardharmacenter.org